Thank you for downloading this sermon from Heritage Baptist Church. We are so glad that you did. We believe that biblically faithful, Christ-centered, God-glorifying local churches are the primary means that God has chosen to expand His kingdom. If you are part of such a church, we hope that this message will supplement your spiritual diet. If you aren't yet part of such a church, we would love for you to visit us. For more details, please check out our website www.heritagebaptist.co.za Evening Church. Would you turn with me in uh, your copy of God's Word to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Uh, I'll read uh, this lengthy passage from verses uh, 22 to 40. Uh, primary focus will be from around verse 20, uh, 20, 27 to about 30 or so, but uh, we're going to see around the context there. On the next day, the crowd that was on the other side of the sea saw that other boats were not there except one, and that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat. But his disciples had departed alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus replied to them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were satisfied. Do not work for the food that perishes, but the food that remains to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For God the Father has set his seal on this one. So they said to him, what shall we do that we accomplish the works of God? And Jesus answered and said, This is the work of God, that you believe in the one uh, that he sent. So they said to him, And what sign will you perform so that we can see it and believe what you are saying? What will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my Father is giving you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said to him, Sir, always then give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will never be hungry, and the one who believes in me will never be thirsty again. But I said to you that you have seen me and do not believe. Everyone whom the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never throw out, because I have come down from heaven, not that I should do my will, but the will of the one who sent me. Now this is the will of the one who sent me, that everyone whom he has given me I would not lose any of them, but raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, 
that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is God's word. Thanks be to God indeed. Amen. What's striking to me with regards to this particular passage, I've been going through the Gospel of John in my uh, personal prayer time. And what's striking in this particular text is all the activity that these people are doing while they are seeking the Lord Jesus for the wrong reasons. There's so much activity, so much busyness, so much that is happening for them but the Lord looks at that and says, this, you are not doing this for the proper reason that you should be doing it for. And what we'll see in this text is two things. We'll see Jesus exposing a preoccupation with being full. It's verse 25 to 26. And we'll see Jesus propose a solution to that preoccupation in verse 27. But before we come to that, you need to see something here that really sets the scene for us. And what sets the scene for us is this. The Lord Jesus has done one of his most famous uh, miracles in the first half of the, of the chapter, which is he fed the 5,000, and that's 5,000 men, mind you. He fed the 5,000 with a few loaves of bread and a few fish. And it is a great sign. Uh, the people are, are absolutely losing their minds at this. This man has just fed us with almost nothing, and he fed all of us, so many of us, thousands of us, um, on this plane, and we were full. And of course, that reminds them of Moses. Moses, every day, uh, through the manna, feeding the people, through the hand of the Lord, of course, but feeding the people while they were in the desert, that, ring, that brings that up in their minds. And they immediately want to make the Lord Jesus king, if you know the story. And the Lord slips away from them. He goes away to a desolate place, to a place where he's alone. And then he even allows his disciples to go across the sea to the other side. Um, and then he walks in the water to see his disciples. And so then that's where we pick the story up. The crowd, this is the following day, the crowd now, look at all this activity. On the next day, the crowd that was on the side are, see, are noticing things. Number one, they are noticing that the boats that were there are not there. So these guys, it's not just this, this moment of crowd movement. is not just happening, happenstancingly. These people are looking and they are paying attention. There is a clarity of mind. Wait a second, there was boats here. This boat is gone. But Jesus wasn't on the boats. Look at, look at this. And that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into uh, the boat, but his disciples had departed alone. So they know that there's a boat that's gone, and Jesus was not on the boat that is gone. You wonder to yourself, okay, John, why are you telling us all of this information? Why, why is this necessary? Why are you just telling us that they, they didn't see him, and then they, got into, they went to the other side to find him. Why are you belaboring this detail about a boat? Well, the first thing that you have to notice is that there is a, this level of detail shows the seriousness by which the people were seeking Jesus. These people were after him. And they were looking and trying to analyze. They, were some, they had been paying attention to what is happening. And they are trying to find him. And they know, wait a second. This boat is gone, but Jesus himself wasn't on this boat. So somehow he got to the, he's, he might be on the other side, but how did he get on the other side? Maybe he performed another miracle. 
which of course you and I know that he did. He walked on water. And so now, verse 23, there's an opportunity for them to go to the other side. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after uh, the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats that have come from Tiberias, and they came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So now they've done their investigation, this forensic investigation. They've done it. They've seen Jesus is not here. His disciples are not here. We know his disciples got into the boat and got on the other side. We can't find Jesus here, so he must be where his disciple is. Now we need to find a way to get to the other side, and lo and behold, the boats from Tiberias are here, and so they get on the boats and they go to the other side. A lot of activity, all of it coming down to this particular point here at the end of verse 24. They came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Now you might think, this is amazing. These people are responding to what just happened. I mean, what's the purpose of these signs? If you know in the New Testament, the purpose of the miracles, the purpose of the signs is to prove who Jesus is, it's to show that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the one that they've been waiting for. That's the purpose of the signs. And certainly what we're seeing now is this huge crowd responding in that way. We're not told how many people this is, but you have to think, this is a large number. Yesterday, the number was 5,000 men, and who knows how many women and children. Okay, so it's thousands, it was thousands yesterday, and today we're being told that the crowd that was on the other side, so we're being told it's the same crowd. Of course, it might have lost a few people or so, but we're being told it's the same crowd of thousands that are moving with this intensity to try and find the Lord Jesus. If you've paid attention to how insurrections work, you know, when, 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 when large groups of people, you know, storm streets and, and they do things as one, you know, they, when we saw this, for example, painfully in the July uh, riots, uh, was it last year or the year before, Where in, in, in KZN, and how just that, it was just a wave that just started somewhere, flicked a fire, and it just went through uh, the, in, almost the, the entire city at least. And you, you, you look at w w what is it that causes crowds to do these things? Well, there's usually certain things. There's usually some kind of a problem that people are, are, are feeling a particular way about. There's some kind of something that's burning people inside. Uh, we saw this, if you, you know, if you look even, if you think about even the Arab Spring riots that happened around 2011 in the, in the Arab world, uh, there's usually some kind of problem, some kind of grievance, something, maybe the death of some kind of important leader that sparks this emotion among a people that then causes them to act in a particular way. And then they're all moving together and there's usually some leaders perhaps here and there, but it happens organically. The image that we're hearing here when you read this text don't read it as calmly as I've just read it. Oh, you know, the crowd was looking for Jesus. Although, you know, the people were just, you know, hey, you know, we had a nice time yesterday. Where is Jesus? Think about this in that sense. There's a huge group of people, and they are moved. The thing that's moving them, that's, that the thing that started the fire, and the thing that's carrying them on to continue in this way is what happened yesterday. That yesterday we ate, yesterday we saw some, a great miracle, and we need to find this man. 
And you might be thinking in your man, mind, wonderful, you are trying to find the right person. But look at Jesus' diagnosis in verse 25. When they, this huge mass of people who, are bu- who were busy doing investigations and, now, and then have now gotten got to all these ships, these boats from Tiberias and they've come across the sea, when they have come to the other side of the sea, they found him, of course, And they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Rabbi. The point is, Rabbi, we've been been looking for you. I mean, we were looking for you after we ate yesterday. We wanted to make you king and we couldn't find you. You disappeared. And now there's there's just this weird thing. We we have no idea how you came across the sea. When did all of this happen? Did you fly here? Did you come here with Elijah maybe? You flew here on a chariot? How did you get to this particular point in time? And again, you and I are thinking these guys are seeking the right person for the right thing. But here's the Lord Jesus' diagnosis in verse 26. Jesus replied to them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs. That's the first thing. Here's what's true. You guys are looking for me. You guys have been working hard to look for me. That's why you're even frustrated that you didn't weren't able to see where I went, how you don't know where my GPS coordinates are at the point that you're looking for them. Here's the thing. You are seeking me, but you're not seeking me because you saw the signs. You're not responding to God in seeking me. The signs have not done their job in you. What is the purpose of the signs? Signs are to lead us to Christ. These people are coming to Christ, but they are not coming because of the signs. But here's the reason. You are coming to me, you have sought me, you are seeking me, you've done all of this activity because you ate of the loaves and were satisfied. What is at the root, at the core, at the heart of this massive movement of people to come to the Lord Jesus Christ? What is at the core of it? Their stomachs. Their stomachs. They got full. They ate. It was delicious, and, and they were satisfied. That is, what is at, that is what's driving them. What is driving this massive group of people to do something that seems so wonderful and spiritually correct is that the fact that they're full. It's the fact that their flesh has been engaged. Their desires, fleshly desires, have been satisfied. Their fleshly desire for food. The Lord Jesus is exposing fleshly, carnal thinking. They are fixated on them here on the earth. They are not seeking Christ because he is the Christ. They are seeking Christ because he can fill up their bellies. They're not seeking Christ because he is the true Lord of all, the King who needs to be bowed down to and served and honored. No. They're seeking Christ because what what it is that they want with their fleshly minds is being sorted out. It it was taken care of. This is the problem with signs, unfortunately. The Lord Jesus here is acknowledging, in one sense, the problem, the very problem with miraculous signs, the the innate, the, the... the, 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 the double-edged sword of the, of the miraculous signs. On the one hand, miraculous signs are to, 
they do the job of showing the greatness and the superiority of the Lord Jesus over the created and natural order. They prove who he is. That's the one side. That's the best side. That's the main side. On the other side, they play to our carnality. Right? If we can get full, if we can get blessing, if, our, if these diseases that are plaguing us can go away. What they play on, what, what signs play on as a double-edged sword on the other side is this. They play on this. We want a utopia. And unfortunately for us, the problem with us is that we want a utopia now. See the problem? We want the utopia here. We believe we've bought in, we've, we've been sucked in to the theory that the point of living is to be happy and, and have no problems. Right, we've bought into that. And in one sense, again, there is, there's a truth to that, right? That, that's where we're going. We're going to be free from all sin, free from all disease. The Lord will wipe our tears away. That's where we're going. But the problem with, with, with signs is that not only, did they, not only do they show us this, which is a wonderful thing, they show us where we're going. They prove to us that the Lord can do and really fulfill His promise of taking us there. Because we are fallen and carnal, we have the... We, we, do the foolish thing of wanting it in its fullness at this present time when that's not what we're supposed to be doing. Anyone who is living a life squarely seeking fleshly, carnal satisfaction is not living in the manner that God has called us to be. If you are living particularly to be problemless, to be sorrowless, to, be, to always be satisfied, uh, you are not living in the direction that the Lord Jesus would have you. The Lord Jesus would have us, he will tell us just now what, we were, what he would have us do. But we need to think about this, for example, we need to dig into this just for one more moment here. These people are at work, they're buzzing, they're moving, they are being pushed by their stomach, as we've seen. And in the same way, we're also constantly at work. We're also constantly hustling, moving, attempting to achieve. And what is it that we're attempting to achieve? I'll have at least two things. We are constantly attempting to achieve a particular state of pleasure. In this text, Jesus calls it being satisfied. You seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were satisfied. We're satisfied. We're, we're, we're often at moving, often at the base of our, even our religious busyness is to have some of our physical senses satisfied. We, we, we are not after what we should be. We are after a, a, a physical satisfaction, a physical fullness, constantly trying to find a, a pleasurable state. The whole theory of living that even affects us as God's people is that we want to live pleasurably. What are the pleasures that the world offers us? That's why we end up going to the world. What are the pleasures that the world offers to us? Then we 
touch them, we look for them, we, we go after them, we're constantly moving. And even, we can take this even to religion. We're supposed to be seeking for the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, well, there's, there's different degrees of this. The one degree of using religion to satisfy yourself, of course, is what we saw with Simon in the book of Acts, right? Simon wants to use money in order to, you know, it's even called simony in history, in order to gain for herself a following, become a big shot himself, etc. And so we see people use religion that way, where they use religion for the purpose of actually getting rich and doing all kinds of things like that. But, but, but I think this affects us as well when in, in many ways we use religion uh, to primarily feed our senses. We, we fight in religion over the types of song we're supposed to be singing. We, we fight in religion over you know, the, the kinds of things that we should be seeing at church, the kinds of how people should be dressing. I'm not talking about modesty. I'm just talking about, well, I, you know, I appreciate it if, if everybody just takes church seriously and everybody dresses formally. Or everybody's too serious, you know, we need to all be wearing t-shirts. There's different ways in which we can, be, we can think and use religion for the f- purpose of satisfying our senses. And we need to be aware of this. You need to consider, where is it that in my life I am buzzing, working, constantly busy, doing something, looking around, like these people. They're looking, they're doing this, they're moving here and there, they're moving as a crowd, but all that is moving them is just so that they get their stomachs full. Where could that be for you? Where is it that you are possibly being pushed and moved specifically so that you can be satisfied? There's different areas of satisfaction. There's aesthetic satisfaction. There's, of course, physical, where you get full. There's sexual satisfaction. There's emotional satisfaction. You know, I'm feeling lonely, so let me string this person along. Let me, const- let me talk to this person, and let me do this to make sure that uh, my, my own self-esteem is propped up. I'm drawing this person near me because I, I don't want to go at home and sleep without anybody paying any kind of attention to me. There's different things, different applications for this. Where is it that we're seeking pleasure and we are working? We are busy. There's another one. So that's one. And the other thing is this, is seeking relief. So there's seeking pleasure and seeking relief. Sometimes we're so busy working, busy striving, Uh, and we even use religion to that end, to seek relief. We might be under certain stressors, certain pressures, certain diseases. Of course, these people in front of us were under the Roman Empire, so they had that, they were taxed. That's why they hated tax collectors. They were being taxed heavily. They had all of this. That's why they wanted to make Jesus king. They want relief. They want relief from these uh, uncircumcised pagans who are in charge of them. They want this Uh, son of Abraham, to come and be their king and make sure and and set them free from their yoke of bondage. And they want it to happen now. And Jesus ran away from them yesterday. He said, no, that's not what I'm here for. And so they can be, again, notice this. It's not wrong, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, that if you're a slave, to seek your freedom. Okay, So it's not necessarily wrong to seek relief. But there is a using of religion, a using of Jesus 
to seek relief. There, 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 there is a, a, a preoccupation with what's happening here on earth to such a degree that I believe that my religious experience is solely for giving me relief. Why is it that I go to church and my problems are not sorted at home? Why is it that I've sent my husband or my wife to go talk to the pastor and they come back unchanged? You know, I've sent you to go talk to the pastor so that the pastor can sort you out. You're coming here and you're doing the same thing. Right? I, I, I need relief from you uh, in, a particular, in a way. And you can think of different ways we, we do this. We, we could be a way in which we're using religion to seek relief. And Jesus exposes this in this verse and says no. And look at what he says in verse 27. He now proposes a solution. That is the problem. The problem is the preoccupation with being full. Now, here is a solution. Do not work for the food that perishes, but rather, the implication in the verse is, rather work for the food that remains to eternal life. And look at how you get this food, which the Son of Man will give to you. Rather, stop being busybodies about food that's going to disappear. In one sense, we could say what Jesus is saying in this way. It's okay to be hungry. It's okay to, be, to go hungry. It's okay to go physically unsatisfied. There's nothing particularly morally wrong some, that the whole world is going to change if you today went to bed feeling a bit lonely. What the bigger issue is this, again, notice this, Jesus is not saying that you shouldn't get full or you shouldn't eat. In that sense, you shouldn't uh, look, at, look after yourself physically. That's not, he's not trying to teach some kind of uh, weird docetism here. But rather, he's trying to raise the importance of seeking him. The importance, the, the, the main thing that we ought to be striving for is him. And particularly, that which he gives us. That which he gives us. That, that which we get from his hand. That is what we should be busy about. If you're going to be a busy body... If you're going to be constantly analyzing things and trying to put things in place and, and look for different people at particular things, then at least let that be about Jesus and what Jesus gives you, not about things that are going to perish tomorrow. If you're going to be worked up in a crowd, worked up, huffing and puffing, if you're going to be that, at least be worked up about the things that Jesus gives you. That's what he's saying. And look at verse 28. They say to him, what shall we do that we accomplish the works of God? And he answers them, this is the work of God. He's repeating himself, that you believe in the one whom he sent. And then now they come, they bring up the question about signs. And what sign will you perform so that we can see it and believe you? What will you do? Here's their preoccupation with food again. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Christ has to retort. Verse 32. Truly, truly, I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my father is giving you the true bread from heaven. 
For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The bread that they got in the wilderness faded. And in fact, because of their sin, they didn't even enter the promised land. An entire generation, bar two people, did not enter into the promised land. They did not enter into God's rest while they were getting bread. So that wasn't true bread. How can you say that God gave you the ultimate thing when you didn't even enter into the promised land, that generation? No, this is the true bread. The true bread is the one who comes. And this now leads us to understanding what Jesus is particularly meaning. That is why in verse 35, when he says that he is the bread of life, and then he expands it, we now know what he's talking about. They ate the bread in, in, they ate the bread in the wilderness, but they still died. Jesus says, the one who comes to me, verse 35, will never be hungry. If you come to me, you will, you will live. There's not going to be an end of 40 years for you. You will live if you come to me. You will never have thirst ever again. And not only that, but look at verse 37. Everyone whom the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never thrown out. Why? Because I, the bread of heaven, have come down from heaven, not that I might do my will, but the will of the one who sent me. And what is that will? That the one, that everyone he has given me, I will not lose any of them. Here's the problem with the Israelites thinking. They're thinking in a carnal way, and they're not seeing that the bread in front of them is going to make them last. If you eat, if you feast on Christ, and you feed on him, you will, there will be no expiration date. There will be no end to your living. There will be no end to your satisfaction. But if you constantly try to use Jesus to get these things that have an end, to get these things that have expiry dates, the love of people grows cold. No matter how much a person is paying attention to you, there's going to come a moment, a time, a day, a year where they don't. The love of people grows cold. When we're busy trying to satisfy our senses with people, with things, we're missing the point. The goal is this. Don't go try to use Jesus to get the thing that's going to end, but come to Jesus freely receiving what he gives you. And what does he give you? A life that has no end. So where should your mind be after this evening, this week? Your mind should be on those things that are lasting forever. One. Jesus came down from heaven. He's the true bread. Number two, if I come to Jesus, I'm going to get satisfied forever. And number three, if I come to Jesus, I'll never be lost. Those three truths, those are the truths that I hear. One, he is the bread of heaven. Two, if I come to him, I'll be truly satisfied. And three, if I come to him, I will never be lost. Focus your mind on those things. Let that be the meditation of your mind and your heart this week, rather than your hustle, legitimate hustle one might say perhaps, but your hustle for food. May God help us to do this. May God help us to focus our eyes and our, and our hearts where they should be, on Christ the Messiah. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, please forgive us for times when we have sought 
pleasure and relief above the things that you give us. You give us life, and you give us eternal life, and you give us lasting life that can never be taken away. Help us, Lord, to focus our minds on these things. Help us really to focus our minds and our hearts on you, O glorious one, Son of God. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me now? And let's sing together, O Church, Arise. <laughs>